What's going on, everybody? Welcome into 104.3 The Fans Coffee Break. Will Peterson, Rachel V. Hill, hanging out with you on this Wednesday. Will we get a win last night in the Western Conference Finals? Game one against the Oilers. How you doing now that you've had a couple hours to, you know, relax from the excitement? Yeah, Rachel. I mean, it was one of those games that there was just so much to dissect, so much to digest. Like, when you play an 8-6 hockey game, uh, the emotions are up and down, obviously. The roller coaster ride is pretty intense, pretty crazy. And when you're up 7-3 and all of a sudden the Oilers make it 7-6, your, your starting goalie gets hurt, their backup goalie comes in. Uh, just so much from that game that it's like, okay, the day after you can kind of put it into perspective. But there are still layers and layers to that hockey game that are kind of crazy for a Final Four game. I, I feel like once you're this late in the playoffs – the games are supposed to be like 2-1, triple OT. Goals are supposed to be at a premium. And obviously, goals were not at a premium last night. Goals were easy to, to come by last night. It was defense that was at a premium. So, uh, listen, I'm glad they got a win, obviously. But that being said, wow, 8-6, to six, 14 goals. We certainly do have a, a lot to break down in that game. We definitely do. Nathan, we appreciate you hanging out with us this morning. How about them as Will and I are both with you right there. So let's get into this. Yeah. So we've got our stats from last night. We'll kind of break these down real quick when you look at this entire team. So as with 47 shots, Oilers 37. The hits was what was interesting to me. So 46 for Edmonton, 34 for Colorado. Both had the same amount of power play opportunities. Honestly, the game felt... I don't want to say long, but it felt longer than the previous series we've seen. So for those power play opportunities, like we're not seeing very many and how long the game felt, it's kind of interesting to just kind of see how the game broke down that way. Yeah, it's almost like there was so much score and there wasn't time to uh, commit penalties, I guess. It was just goal, goal, goal. Although Rachel Gabe Landeskog did have a bad penalty late. Um, that helped the Oilers make it go from 7-5 to 7-6, which was a bummer. And obviously, the Oilers challenging the offsides on Kale McCarr, and the play was onside. That led to a delay of game penalty, and Nazem Kadri scored there. So, you know, body of work, it wasn't like each team had had 10 power plays, but but two very key moments in that game, one to let the Avs kind of pull ahead and another – to let the Oilers get, you know, this close to, to tying it up, getting it to 7-6, and then having, like you said, what felt like an eternity to get that game tied and never quite could. Um, so for the Avs, you know, and the Oilers, there's a lot of things to tighten up, but but maybe the penalties really aren't that one uh, or aren't that key other than the, the, you know, the critical one here and there. The coach, you know, I think he had to challenge that play for the Oilers. I don't think he had a choice because it was such a stunning goal by the Avs. But Landis Scott can definitely clean up what happened at the end of the third period, um, and I expect he will moving forward. Absolutely. We got another comment that says, any news on our goalie situation? So, yes, Darcy Kemper leaving the game last night. There's no official news on it. A lot of people are saying that he took a few pucks to the helmet and that, you know, that I still swung. So we've actually got pictures from DMAC and Monday's press conference that we'll go ahead and show you that kind of like you can kind of tell his eye is still a little bit swollen. So it's the left eye. Correct. Well, I want to make sure that I'm correct on this. It's just a tad swollen, correct? Uh, that would be his right eye, Rachel. His right eye? I thought it was his left eye. Well, I'm just looking at the pictures there. Uh, the one, but on my vision, so like it's like squinted, right? 
Yeah, so that's his right, because think you're sitting in Darcy's seat. Do your lefty-righty thing. That's his right eye. Okay, I see the point you're making here. Okay, yes. we're. All, I'm a little tired of everybody. So you're correct, you're correct, you're correct. I'm sorry. Um, yes, so right eye. Um, you know, there was talk that possibly his like vision got blurry, so we weren't 100% sure on this. Again, nothing has been confirmed. We're not sure how long he's going to be out either. So it's kind of just a waiting game on Darcy Kemper. Yeah, so so left, right. <laughs> Leave me alone, okay? I went to bed at 1 a.m. last night. <laughs> uh, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, you know, um, Jared Bednar was on the, the team's partner station this morning and provided no update at all. Uh, basically just said, I don't know how long he's going to be out for, and he could play tomorrow night. So that was his way of, of saying he could be out the rest of the playoffs, which would obviously be extreme, or he could play tomorrow night, which, in my opinion, feels like it might be a little extreme. Like, I don't think – because here's the thing with these goalie injuries, Rachel. Like, when he got hurt in Nashville, it was very pronounced. It was very obvious what happened. He collapsed in a heap, play stopped, he's off the ice. Last night, like, he was playing, he was fine, and then all of a sudden, randomly, he just wasn't playing. So it was like, was it just a culmination of things? Was it Darcy making a decision of, hey, I'm not right, and I owe it to the team to let Pavel come in because he's going to give us a better chance to win? Usually when these goalie injuries happen, it's one big play that we can watch a 100 times and say, ah, that's why he had to go out. You're, you're right, it was it was unclear, and like Adrian Dater said, could be related to the eye. We're looking at the eye swollen there. There's chatter about concussions. Like right now with Darcy, it just feels like hockey injuries are always a little mysterious. But with this one in particular, it just feels like there is so much up in the air that we don't know that he could play tomorrow night. He may not play the rest of the playoffs and neither scenario would unfortunately or fortunately surprise me. So with Jared Bednar speaking to their team station, it doesn't surprise me that he's giving no updates at this time in the playoffs. Like unless something is a serious injury and you know that person's going to be out, they're not going to give any details because they don't want the other team to kind of have to prepare for whatever it is that they're going to see. So usually you don't see a lot of details when it comes down to this stuff. But I did find it interesting that as soon as Mike Smith left, that's when Darcy Kemper was like, okay, I'm out. You know, the Oilers pulled Mike Smith out of there. They said, all right, he's done for. And then, yeah, it was like five seconds later, everyone's talking, oh, Darcy's out there, like gone too now. So you almost wonder if he was like, all right, I believe in this team. I believe in this offense enough that they're going up against the um, backup goalkeeper. So now we can hopefully, I can leave and make sure that I can get the rest and, you know, whatever else I need to get done. But it's it's a scary situation. And you're talking about the eye. This is what we talked about too. Even when this whole situation went down in the Nashville series, right? Like it's your eye. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, if you break your leg, we can repair your leg and you'll eventually be fine. If you lose an eye or, or your vision goes in your eye, um, you know, I'm not a doctor, but we don't hear all the time about, you know, folks who are blind all of a sudden having their vision restored. It's, it's one of the science and medical fields that we can probably still improve on. And we may not even see it in our lifetime. You know, it's that tricky. It's that sensitive of an area of the body is the eye. So, yeah, it's if I'm Darcy Kemper, I'm not taking any chances. Like a Stanley Cup's important, but me being able to see out of my right eye the rest of my life is probably more important. You know, like we got to keep things in perspective here. He's he's 30, 31 years old. That's a little more critical than, uh, you know, potentially making this thing worse. And that's that's where I think we've gotten into that territory now is it's obviously not right, 
but is he risking further damage and risking vision, which again, I don't think anyone in their right mind wants to risk long-term vision. That's, that's a scary thing. That's something that you want to have. So um, it's a lot to, to digest and it, it brings us back to, to Pavel Francouz. You know, he may become the most debated man in Denver of whether or not he's good enough that the Avs can, you know, get out of this round. Can they get out of this round? I think so. Can they win the cup with Francois? Well, we talked about it with Jake Shapiro on faceoff yesterday. Like, I don't know, you know, so it, it is setting up to be a fascinating, uh, you know, at least couple of weeks with the rest of this Edmonton series. And if they can get out of this one, then another month with, with Franzos, if Kemper can't come back, that's not me burying Kemper again, we don't have that update, but it just feels like it's trending and, and maybe not the best direction right now for Darcy Kemper. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So I love how you said like the debate around Francois. So let's break it down. Both of them pretty much saw split time last night. So we've got 21 save attempts for Francois, 16 for Kemper. Um, down there, you can see Kemper at 27 minutes compared to Pavel Francois at 32. And the save percentage for Francois was actually higher. He obviously saw more shots towards him, but it's not like Darcy Kemper was playing out of his mind incredible compared to what we saw from Francis. So I know I was a little doubtful heading into the game that I was like, I don't want him being our goalkeeper. But, you know, when we look kind of at this, he's playing pretty good. He's playing at the level of Darcy Kemper. Now, can that continue on down the stretch? Well, we'll have to wait and find out. Yeah, it, it's interesting when you put those stats up there. Obviously, a save percentage, anything under nine in the NHL is like, oh, not real good. And both guys were both guys were well into the eights with Darcy Kemper nearly in the seven. So um, he, here's what I will say about Francis. It's not like he came in and was all worldly and stood on his head. But game five against the Blues, Kemper couldn't prevent it from getting tied. The Blues did tie it. And then he gave up a soft goal in overtime to lose it. Francis last night never let that game get tied at seven because he made two or three unbelievable saves when the Oilers had the open net. And of course there was no overtime for him to give up a soft goal. So that could be a little bit of a, a distinction with these two guys is that at least one didn't let it get tied. Like it got ugly. It got close. It got closer than it should have. But what Kemper did against St. Louis in game five was not enough. What Francois did in Edmonton against game one was enough by about this much. But if you go watch the last, you know, minute 30 of that game, he made two or three unreal saves. I just had that sick feeling that Edmonton was going to tie that game, as I'm sure you did up in the press box. Like, I didn't think there was any chance the Avs were going to win that game 7-6 or, or get an empty netter and win it 8-6, and they did. I thought it had 7-7 written all over it, and Pavel Francouz was the reason that the uh, the Oilers weren't able to tie it at 7. When I'm, I'm trying to think back and thinking of the goals, did he really have any soft goals that he allowed? Nothing like, that, was, yeah, nothing that screamed. Yeah, nothing that screamed like, oh my goodness, that was that was terrible. Um, I think with Francois, James Marilat brought this up on the postgame show last night. You know, we we all remember the play in game six where Kemper way overslid his crease and Manson had to come make the save and bail him out. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes with Francois, he looks he looks a little anxious and a little eager out there. Like he's kind of going a million miles an hour and all over the place. So it's not like the Kemper third goal where he just dropped the puck and it was just sitting right there. And everyone's like, what are you doing? None of his three were like that. But I just thought there were times where it was like, 
I know the Oilers are fast skaters, but dude, we just got to chill a little bit because if you're constantly overshifting and getting out of position, they're going to shoot into open nets. Like you look at the McDavid fourth goal, like he he was shooting into an open net the, the size of my kitchen table that I'm sitting at that no one can see right now. So terrible analogy, but it was it was a big old open net for, for Connor McDavid. So yeah, he didn't give up the ones where you're like, oh my goodness, Frankie, what in the world is that? But I just think his game is a little helter-skelter and it doesn't help when you're playing Edmonton. Like it does not help when you're playing McDavid and Dreisaitl and Kane because those guys by nature want to make you helter-skelter. So hopefully starting the game, if he does have to start game two, again, we don't know that for sure. But if he does have to start it, maybe that'll calm the nerves a little bit as opposed to coming in mid-game. I think mid-game and that kind of atmosphere, that's just something that you can't really can control. Like if they're going to start him, hopefully they tell him today or, or tomorrow morning. So he has 24, 36 hours to prepare uh, as opposed to coming in in the second period and thinking – man, I can't believe I'm in the Western Conference Finals against two or three of the best players in hockey on the other side. Mm -hmm. And make sure you stay tuned to all of our social media pages, denverfan.com. We'll keep you updated on anything that we hear on Darcy Kemper. Of course, DMAC will be out at Morning Skate tomorrow, too, to provide us any updates. So, again, make sure you stay around. Check out our social media pages. Follow us for Coffee Break tomorrow morning. DMAC will be live with us down from Ball Arena. So, we'll keep you updated on everything that you need to know on Darcy Kemper. But let's get into a very controversial call last night featuring Kale McCarr. So, we got, we kind of all learned what a delayed offside penalty was. It was something a lot of us had never heard. I was in the press box last night. And there was so much chatter going around about this. So as you can see, Kale McCarr right here, he seems to have possession of the puck and Valerie Nachuskin is offside. But because he didn't have full control of the puck as he went inside the blue line and Nachuskin was able to step back, it was a delayed offside. Will, is that how you take that, the d- definition of this play? Yeah, I think by the letter of the law, I'm starting to make sense of what happened and why it was a good goal because my original reaction, and I know yours and and Jake's when we were texting last night was, ah, it's clearly offsides, bummer. And then when they came back and the official said, you know, after review, we've got a good goal, we all sort of said, wait, what? And I think I now get it, Rachel, that like, yes, because he doesn't have the puck, Technically, and we've it's got pictures to prove too that he did, he's not actually touching the puck. So we'll go ahead and throw those up, but continue, Will. Right? Yes. So he's because he's not touching it. It's a dump in, which means Nachushkin is allowed to tag up. The NHL instituted that. I don't know. At this point, 10, 15 years ago, the delayed offside thing. It's been it's been a rule for a while. So it's a little bit of a technicality. But Rachel, I said this last night on uh, the post game show, and I'll say it here again now. It feels like the offside gods owed the ass one because in in game seven of the 2019 second round against San Jose, you'll remember Gabriel Landeskog was trying to go to the bench and he got the bogus offsides call when he was not involved in the play at all. In fact, a lot of people said, well, if you're going to call him offsides, then you got to call him for too many men on the ice because he was going for his shift. And it was controversial. And, you know, the ass had beaten the flames. What's that? People were pissed. Yeah, the Avs had beaten the Flames in the first round. They were, you know, on the verge of going to the Western Conference Final, this sort of out of nowhere eight seed, and it burned them. And it almost feels like, you know, three years later, uh, three years in a month, basically, that some sweet, sweet karma, you know, the, the, 
the 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 eye test last night said it should be no goal, right? But because of this technicality, it, it the refs got it right. It was a goal. And then, as we've discussed, that got the Avs a power play, too. So it was really a two-goal swing. Um, I'm not so sure if that gets overturned. The Avs win that game last night. So it's a it's a big, big moment in this series, even though it happened at the end of the first period in game one. It, it could be the difference between us talking about a 1-0 Avs lead versus a 1-0 Avs deficit. And Mel in the comments is saying the delayed offsides rule is decades old. It's like one of the oldest rules in the book. And I can understand – if you're an Edmonton fan – I totally understand why you're pissed. I mean, we're, we were all shocked, right? Like it was something we didn't expect. I for sure thought it was offsides. We were all up in the press box. So if you're an Edmonton fan, I completely understand why you're angry. It was, again, it's kind of like that karma, that good karma you said, right? Like really, where are we going with this? (laughs) When you kind of look at how these rules are being called. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that when it goes your way as a fan, you're not going to complain at all. Yeah, that's that's what the rules say. We'll, we'll take it. It's the rules. If that had gone against the Avs and we had lost, and, and this morning we're talking about a loss because of that play, we'd be ticked off. So I get why Edmonton fans are upset. But listen, this team hasn't made this round in 20 years. They haven't won a cup in 21 years. I'm not apologizing for any breaks they get. I'll take I'll take every one we can get. Absolutely. And there was question two. DMAC and I talked a lot about it when we were up in the press box last night of did Kale McCarr understand what he was doing with this play or was it pure luck? And Kale McCarr had a quote last night where he almost makes me kind of think that maybe he was understanding of what needed to happen. He said, I knew they were trying to get out of the zone. My instinct was to try to give them as much time as possible. So makes me kind of believe that maybe he was fully aware of what was going on, and he was just really trying to make a really, really smart hockey move. Yeah, Kale's pretty modest, pretty humble. Um, You know, I think he probably would have just admitted if he had just said, hey, I didn't see him. It was lucky. But that quote makes me think that, yeah, maybe he didn't know what was going on. Uh, And Jake, our producer, tells us the rules from 2005. I said 10 to 15 years old, so 15 minus 20, 22 would be 07. So I missed it by two years. I appreciate the comment that it's decades and decades old. But it's about it's about 15 years uh, old, and it's just you know it, it's one of those things that if if the Avs win this series, is it going to be the play that we're saying? Oh, they had no chance unless that went. No, but would it just be nice if on a championship run the Avs get some breaks along the way? Of course, you know we all remember the Broncos 2015 Super Bowl run. The Steelers had the lead late in the divisional round, and the Broncos. I believe it was DeMarcus Ware forced to fumble. Like they were this close to not even getting out of the elite eight in the NFL. And they went on to win the Super Bowl. If you're going to win a title, you need breaks along the way. And that last night, smart play by McCarr, you know, especially given his quote, but also somewhat of a break for the ass. Oh, absolutely. Well, you mentioned the Broncos. They're in week two of OTAs. You know, we're kind of learning a little bit about this team, right? We're not seeing them in pads or anything like that, but we're starting to see maybe who be favorites, you know, who's working well together, offense versus defense. Will, what have you kind of seen from now that we're going into like the midway point of week two? I just can't remember, Rachel, this much excitement and hype around OTAs in years and years and years. Like there's just so much energy around the Broncos. And obviously when you get Russell Wilson, that's going to happen. I'm not breaking news to anyone there, but just the difference between Nathaniel Hackett and his two predecessors and Vic Fangio and Vance Joseph, like it felt like 
it, for the media that OTAs were almost like a little bit of a chore the last few years. It was like, ah, we're going back to OTAs, whatever. And this year there's like this excitement. It's like, no, I want to go to practice. I want to see Russell Wilson. I want to see this wide receiving core healthy. I want to see Greg Dulcich and Nick Benito, the rookies. I want to see Nathaniel Hackett's energy in person. Like it just is such a boost and a different level of energy. And it's Rachel, it's the difference of knowing your team ceiling is the Super Bowl versus knowing your team ceiling last year was what? Seven wins, eight wins, nine wins. Like no one was going to sit here last year and say, yeah, Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke's going to win a Super Bowl. Of course not. Am I going to predict Russell Wilson's going to win a Super Bowl? No, because it's really hard to win a Super Bowl. But are the Broncos at least finally in the conversation for the first time since Peyton Manning retired? They are. So that to me is really exciting and and makes things like OTAs in late May and in early June like worth going to, worth paying attention to. And that's that's a nice refreshing change over the last few years when they sort of felt like a slog. Absolutely. Nathaniel Hackett talked to the media yesterday as we saw Pat Sertan pick off Russell Wilson. Let's go ahead and take a listen. Yeah, there was a, we got to fix some things up on offense on that one. We, we messed that up. We got to keep running on that. Uh, but I thought it was a great reactionary play for him. And that's the first pick of the, uh, of the OTAs in the offseason. So, uh, we're going to be hearing about that, but that was a hell of a job across the board. The defense is, I mean, defense is coming along really well. I mean, obviously they played together. They've done a nice job and it makes us better. It makes me better. It makes the whole offense better. So, uh, it's great to see that competitive nature out there. We've talked so much about how we're so excited for this offense to get rolling. Are we not giving enough credit to maybe the defense that we're going to be seeing? Yeah, it's a, it's a good and it's a fair question. You know, with Vic, Vic Fangio, the strength was always supposed to be the defense, right? And it never came to fruition. It just never, uh, you know, worked out in the sense that they weren't this dynamic, turnover-creating, score-on-defense type unit, but they have – the pieces to be that. And maybe, you know, Fangio, this defensive guru, couldn't get the most out of them. So, yeah, Rachel, I think I think this defense, uh, I think the offense is going to be the, the strength, so to speak, because it's Russell freaking Wilson. But this defense can be top five, top ten good, too. I mean, you, you know, you have Simmons. You have Sertan. If Chubb and Gregory can stay healthy, of course, those are strengths. Kareem Jackson is back. I'm excited about Bonito. Um, you know, there's pieces on this defense, even Ronald Darby underachieved last year that, that can be really good. And I think obviously Sertan and Simmons are the, the two everyone's most excited about. So for Sertan to pick off Russell Wilson yesterday and really set the tone at practice, it's kind of like this Broncos defense saying, Hey, don't forget about us too. We know you guys are getting all the headlines, but we're going to be a pretty darn good unit as well. How pissed do you think Russell Wilson was that he threw that interception, even in OTA practice? No, I don't know. You know, I think his competitive spirit is, of course, mm-hmm. bummed, right? But I think there's probably part of him that, you know, this is a guy who played with the Legion of Boom. He played with mm-hmm. Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and, and the guys, obviously, that beat the Broncos up in Super Bowl forty-eight in a very, very bad way. So there's probably the tiniest little part of him that the Seattle defense had done this the last several years, taking a nosedive, the Legion of Broom was broken up, they were all gone. It's probably a tiny part of him that says, ah, I remember what it's like to play with an elite cornerback like Richard Sherman was for me in Seattle. Maybe I got one here now in Patrick Sertan that I haven't had in a few years. So there's there's definitely a little bit of him that, uh, yeah, he's mad he made the mistake, but deep down, 
Pat Sertan ain't picking them off in the regular season. They're teammates, so he's got to be got to be thrilled about that. You're right. Maybe he's a little jet lagged too. He was all over this past weekend. He was at the Grand Prix too, so he was traveling. I know he also went to a wedding, so him and Sierra were all over the place and. Jet lag's a real thing, everybody. It is definitely it. I mean, I only went to a hockey game last night, and I'm tired today. So I know Russell Wilson only gets four hours of sleep, but maybe he was a little sleepy on Tuesday. You never know. You didn't. You didn't fly to the the Grand Prix uh, no. like Russ. You drove. I to wish a- they would like to take me. I'll go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's uh, that. You know, Rachel. If you, if you ever like win the Powerball, I think the game changer in life is the private jet. You know, like the, the private jet is is the game changer. You and I, we don't have the means to just fly to Perry and fly to Monaco and be back in time for work. Like those are major commercial hassle flights for us and Sierra. Just like, yep, yeah, fire up the jet, direct flight. So, uh, you know, you have a lot of money when you get to private jet money. That's where Russell Wilson and Sierra, Sierra are. And, uh, you know, we got a long way to go. That's why I use the, the Powerball as the example, because... You know, if you if you win a uh, if you win a Powerball, I think you can buy a jet, but the odds of that probably aren't real good. You don't think I can become a superstar singer in the next couple of years with my fabulous voice? Will I mean, here's the thing. Well, you do have a good voice, but oh, thank you. Yes, like you can make it to the top of the top in your business and still not be able to afford a private jet. Like a private jet is such a ridiculous, ridiculous expense. They bought that house in Cherry Hills that we talked about for $25 million. I bet their jet was double that. Like it, it, it jets are you, – you have to make – you have to make an obscene Ridiculous. amount of money to or to be able to afford a, a private jet, and it's just a game changer uh, when it comes to travel. And, and Russ and Sierra, it's, it's their world. We're just living in it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. The king and queen of Denver, as a lot of people are calling them. Well, we're also looking for a new owner for this Broncos team. And it was brought down to four candidates yesterday. Whereas one that's kind of a stretch that we're kind of seeing in Brian Allen. But who interests you the most, Will, out of the four names that we've been told? Yeah, I think it's the Walton. Like he's just he's going to have so much more money than any other NFL owner. Uh, old old Robson, you know, I, I don't want to call him Rob. I want to make him sound as rich as possible. Robson, Walton. <laughs> um, like, Rachel, just think about the, the new stadium the Broncos could get and, and the first-class way that they could just do everything. As Jake reminds me, it's actually S. Robson Walton. That's when you're really rich. That's like Stan, Stan Kroenke is E. Stanley Kroenke. Um, I might start being H. William Peterson, but um, – <laughs> No, I, th- I think it's Walton. I just think he'd instantly become the richest NFL owner. I-, I think your owner having more money than everyone else. I know there's a salary cap. I get it. It's not baseball. But your owner having more money than everyone else could just be nothing but a leg up. So I think it's going to be Robson Walton. I mean, if he wants it, he can definitely write the biggest check. Um, so if he's in the final four now and bids are due, I, I just would like to see that. And uh, he's by far the name that that has me most intrigued because his, his wealth, his capital is just so much stronger than everyone else's. 
And they're starting, they believe that the starting bid is going to be right around that $4 billion, but they're expecting it as this will go through the process to end up close to five, if not pushing over $5 billion. So it's crazy to think of how far, when we first started all of this talk, they were at like $3.65 billion and it went up to four and we were all like, oh my goodness, four. Now it's inching closer to $5 billion for the Denver Broncos. That's just crazy. Like that is crazy money right there. Yeah, it shows you that these things don't come up very often. They are rare commodities. And if you've got two, three, four bidders that really want them, they're just going to drive each other up. It's pretty darn cool to own an NFL team. And, uh, you know, Robson Walton and, and Josh Harris and, and the group with Todd Bowley, they're going to they're gonna get a little bit of a bidding war here. And I would not be shocked if the first number of the sale is a five. Yeah, we will wait and see. But there's also a big event happening tonight that's not the Tampa Bay or the Rangers series starting up on the Eastern Conference, but it's the match between Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers versus Mahomes and Allen. Who you taking, Will? Uh, God, I don't really like any of those guys. Like, I, I don't mind Josh Allen, I guess, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm taking the weather, I guess. You know, G- give me like a lightning delay or something. I don't want anyone getting hit, but... I don't know. I, I just don't really like any of those those quarterbacks. So I don't have a, a strong rooting interest. How about yourself? Okay, so I feel like you, one, can never bet against Tom Brady. You just can't ever do it. But I also like the owner or the creator of the match came on and said after he saw the playoff games between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes that he immediately knew that those two needed to be on a team. So I like that. I think it's going to be interesting. I've never personally watched the match. I didn't even know it was like this big commodity of a thing in years past. But because it's four huge names in the NFL, it caught my attention. So we'll wait and see. I, I mean, I think it'll be interesting. I think hopefully they'll have some fun with it. But I don't know, but I, I guess I'm never, I never ever doubt Tom Brady. So I'll take Tom B or, or yeah, Tom B and Aaron Rodgers to win this one. Yeah, it became a thing during COVID. Um, mm. You know, when, when there was so a few, few years old. Yeah, when there were so few sports, you know, Tom Brady played Peyton Manning. That was a, a big deal. Brady hold out when, when Charles Barkley was talking, talking smack in his ear and, and Brady made one. So, you know, the novelty at the time was kind of fun. This is now version like five or six. I'm a little over the match. Now, if Russell Wilson played in the match, I would watch it. But I'm just I, – I, we've got real sports back now. You know, COVID – I'm not going to say COVID's over because that would be irresponsible. There's still cases of COVID out there. But we do have real sports back now, so I don't need gimmicky stuff like the match. Okay, I do actually remember now when Peyton Manning did that. Yeah, I thought it was just like a one-off thing, but I see, I see how it's continuing. But – you want to bet on it, definitely go for it. A lot of people are talking about it. So that is going to do it for this morning's episode of Coffee Break. As always, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. We appreciate all the comments. We're obviously stoked that the Avs were able to get the first win of the Western Conference finals down. You know, we've got seven more to go to hopefully get Mission 16W checked off and bring a Stanley Cup back to Denver. But thank you all so much again for hanging out with us on this Wednesday morning. And we'll be back again 1030 a.m. tomorrow morning. Bye, everyone.